theyeshiva.net. Good morning, everybody, and welcome. Bruchim Abayim. Let's begin with the source sheet that says in the top Shir Vayishlach Tavshinayin Vav, Erchayim Munsi. We'll learn a shtikl Gemara in Sanhedrin, Perik Chelek, the 11th chapter of Sanhedrin, which deals with a Pasuk in Parshas Vayishlach and a Pasuk in Parshas Vayetze. Zog the Gemara. Says the Gemara, Sanhedrin, Davtzadik Tes Amid Beis. Tanar Abonon, the rabbis taught. When the Pasuk says, in Bamidbar, in Perik Tesvav, the Pasuk says, Vahanefesh, Asher Tase, Biyad Rama, the soul who will rebel with arrogance, with haughtiness, Zem Menashe ben Chizkiah. This Pasuk can be applied to the king Menashe, the son of Chizkiah, Hamelech, the son of Chizkiah. Menashe lived in the century before the destruction of the first base Hamikdash. His father Chizkiah, who preceded him, was a great and righteous king. Menashe, as we will see, took a very different turn. He went in an opposite direction from his father Chizkiah. Says the Gemara, He used to sit and expound on what he thought was the uselessness of Torah. He would sit and darshan bahagadus shaldoifi. He would try to prove how senseless, so to speak, from his perspective, many verses of the Torah were. Omar, he said, Moshe had nothing better to do than to sit and write in the Sefer and Parshas Vayishlach that Loiton had a sister and her name was Timna and Timna was a Pilegesh, a concubine for Eliphaz who was the son of Esau. What he was referring to is that at the end of Vayishlach the Torah discusses the genealogy of Esau's family. Esau married three, three, uh, three wives. And one of his sons from Ada was Eliphaz. So then the Pasuk says, Eliphaz. Eliphaz, not his wife, but Eliphaz takes as a Pilegesh, as a concubine. He takes who? He takes a woman named Timna. And then later, later in the Psukim, the Psukim described the various uh, dukes that lived in Seir before Esau settled there. The various Alufim, the various princes or dukes that lived in Seir before Esau lived there. And one of them was Loiton, his name was Loiton, Aluf Loiton, the Duke Loiton. And he had a sister whose name was Timna, Achois Loiton Timna, who later becomes a concubine for Eliphaz, the son of Esau. So Manasseh says, really, Moshe has nothing better to do than this. Now, what of course, what he means is 
The Torah describes the genealogy of Adam and Noyach and Avram and Yishmol and of course Yitzchak and Esau and Yaakov. And it, will t- it tells us who Yishmal married, it tells us who Esav married, but here he's telling us not only who Esav married, he's also telling us who Esav's son, the concubine of Esav's son, that's already unusual. We don't know who Yishmal's children married, we don't know who Esav's other children married. This is what we have to know, and then we have to know exactly who Timna was, she was a sister of Loitan, in other words, not only we have to know the Pelegish of Eliphaz, but also the Yichis of the Pelegish of Eliphaz. So Manasha was saying, look, this is the text of the Torah, what are you going to do with this? How can you attribute much value to this? Then he continued, Reuven goes out during the days of wheat harvest, and he finds Dudoyim, which is mandrakes, or jasmine, or some other plant, different opinions what Dudoyim are. Mandrake flower, jasmine, there's other opinions in Mepharshim. But whatever it is, he finds Dudoyim, one opinion is barley, basad in the field. Here again, Menashe says, I have nothing better to do. Tell me when he went out in the days of harvesting wheat. And if he went out a day before, or he went out a month after and he found Dudoyim basad. It seems irrelevant, it seems insignificant, it seems valueless. This is exactly what God wants people to know. I don't see the purpose. Yatsabaskal. A voice comes out Vyamrulay and says to Menasha, the Pasakin Tehilim, Teshev Bachicha Tedabibenimecha Titan Daifi. You sit near your brother, you speak against the son of your mother, and you attribute to them senselessness. Ela Sisi Vahrashti Dimisa Yois Eyechamoicha Oichikha Vairchalainach. If you would do this and I would remain silent. You would think that I agree with you. So I'm going to rebuke you and show you before your eyes that you're wrong. Zog the Gemara. The Asan Mihas Achois Loiton Timna Mahi. No. Once we already mentioning Menashe's question. What's the answer? Why does it say in the Torah that Loiton's sister was Timna? What relevant is it to the narrative to the message, to the story of Sefer Bereshis. Zog the Gemara, there is a profound message here. Timna bas malachim havoi. Timna wasn't a regular person. She was a princess. She was the daughter of kings. Tiksiv, because the Pasik says, aluf loiton, aluf timna. The duke of the family of loiton, the duke of the family of timna. V'chol aluf malchusa beloitagihi. The word aluf represents royalty without a crown. In other words, somebody who comes from a royal aristocratic family, even if they don't have an actual crown, they're not in a position of being a king, but they come from a lineage of royalty. And Timna wanted to convert, she wanted to become a Jew. She came to Avram, Mitzvah, and Yaakov, they didn't accept her. So she became a concubine for Elif was the son of Esav. Amr, she said, It's better to be a maid for this people, for this nation, rather than a gvira, a princess for another nation. So even though I'm only a concubine for Esav's son, but Esav's son is a grandson of Yitzchak, a great-grandson of Avram Avinu, 
So it's better to be a shivcha, to be a maidservant of this family, of this nation, of this tribe, than to be an aluf, a prince in another nation. Nafak mina amalik ditzarinu li Yisrael. Who was her son? The Pasik says, Timna and Eliphaz gave birth to Amalek, who caused aggravation to the Jewish people. My time? Why? Why? They should have not distanced her. They should have not rejected her. is teaching something. It was the day, the time of, of wheat harvest. So therefore there was a lot of wheat available. Reuven went out to bring something nice for his mother. Naturally, he might have taken wheat. But tzaddikim ain't poishting yedeim begezel. They will not commit any thief, any theft, any robbery. So even though it was b'meik tzichitim, he made sure to take flowers or grass or produce. That's hefker, that's ownerless, because m- m- people don't find value. It's not sold on the market. But what did he take? He made sure to find something that's ownerless, that's hefker, and that's what he brought home to Leah, his mother. So both verses that Menashe chose to prove that they're senseless, they're insignificant, there's no message, there's no theme, the Gemara happens to explain Achos Leiton Timna is very significant because it gives us a perspective who Timna was and why would Timna become a Pilegesh for Elifaz Ben Esav. This is also significant. It tells the story of Timna. It tells the story of her attempt to convert. It tells the story of her son Amalek. And the same is true when it comes to Reuven going out precisely during the time of wheat harvest. Now the obvious question when one learns this Gemara, a lot of questions, but one question I want to pose when we learn this Gemara is, why did Menashe choose these two Psukim? When you read through Sefer Bereshis, there's a lot of Psukim. Already in the first verse, a lot of Psukim. You could focus your attention on and say, what's this for? This detail, this nuance. I mean, we see Menashe is being very particular. Be make tzirchitim. The story itself he has no issue with. The story is part of how Yisachar is born, how Zvulun is born, the exchange of Rachel and Leah. It's part of the story. That he's not an issue. His issue is B'meik Tzirchitim. If you really want to get so particular, there's many Pesukim before, and it's interesting. He first chooses a Pesuk from Vayishlach, and then he goes back to Vayetze. And in the genealogy of Bereshis and Noyach, even Jews who learn Chumash today, they read through the Pesukim, they don't ask most people, how long, how long did the people at the end of Bereshis live? So other Mauritian people live? No. Some people know. You go through the whole genealogy, how long did each of them live? The Pesuk says it. So obviously it's relevant. Who exactly were the descendants of Shem, Cham, and Yafas and all the generations? The Torah dedicates a lot of place to it. So obviously it's significant. Who were the all alufim that lived in Chayri and Seyeh before Esau? So we know Loitan, but there's many more. Who were Esau's three wives? Even people who learn Chumash don't deem it significant. They go walk, they, they, they gloss it over. But it's part of Torah Shabbat The Rambam has an expression, the Rambam has an expression, famous expression in Pirush HaMishnayis, Ve'ein Hefresh, there's no difference between Achois Loit and Timna and Anoichi Hashem Alekecha. 
famous words of the Ram. There's no difference. Anoichi Hashem Alekecha, you might say, is pretty important in Judaism. It's pretty important to Torah. He says, there's no difference between Achais Leit and Timna and Timna Aysa Pilegesh, even though, who cares? And if Timna wasn't Leit and Sister, what difference would it change? Would, would it make? But if somebody, the Rambam in Hilchus Tshuva and Perigim will say, if somebody says, one ice, one word, is not Ben Hashamayim, which doesn't only mean it's not from heaven, it means it's not as significant. So then they don't understand, they fail to appreciate the message of Torah, but Menashe chooses these two psukim. Only these two psukim. Maybe he chose more, but this is what the Gemara chooses to quote from, from Menashe. Probably if he sat doing this all day, so he probably went through a lot of other psukim. But this is what the Gemara chooses to capture Menashe's story. Let's learn another Gemara now, Masech Yuma, which at the surface doesn't seem connected, but we'll soon see the connection. Zog the Gemara Yuma, Daflamad Hayamad Beis. Tonur Abon and the rabbis taught. Aniva Ashi, Virasha, Bayin Ladin. A poor man, a rich man, and a wicked man all come for judgment. Boy and Ladin, they all come for judgment. This is like, you know, the rabbi, the priest, and the minister, they go into a bar, right? You know the story, the rabbi, the priest, minister go into a bar, and the bartender looks and says, what is this, a joke? So, Lahavdil, the Oni, the Usher, and the Rasha, Boy and Ladin, they all come to the din. That was a joke. They tell the poor man, Why didn't you engage in Torah? What do you want? I was stressed out. Somebody has to pay a mortgage. Somebody has to pay tuition. I didn't win the lottery. I don't have a Yerusha. Nobody sponsors everything for me. So therefore, I was tired. I didn't have time to learn. They tell him, Poorer than Hillel you weren't. And the Gemara goes on to tell the famous story how poor Hillel was, and nonetheless he would go every day to learn. And one day he didn't have enough money to pay the guard at the Bismedrish who was taking money. It didn't say on the signs, uh, the shear is free. Everybody could come in with a breakfast. Over there you had to pay, not for the breakfast, you had to pay just to walk in, walk into the base Medrash, and Hillel didn't have the money to go in, and the Shimer, I guess wasn't an Ibrigish Spitzterchachim, did not let Hillel go in, so he went to the roof. He went to the roof, there was a skylight there, and he lied down there, it was a winter day, it was a snow, and in the Shabbos morning, Shmaya and Aftalian look up, and they see the image of a person, it was dark in the room, they see the image of a person, Five, six feet of snow, three amas of snow, the Gemara says, were covering Hillel. They revived him, they desecrated the Shabbos for him, and they saved Hillel's life. So this was Hillel who wanted to learn, even though he was so poor. So this is how, what they tell the poor person, you weren't more poor than Hillel. Asher, a wealthy person, you have to tell him. They tell him. Itaka wasn't poor, I was very wealthy, but you think it's easy to be a rich man. You think it's easy to be wealthy, it comes with its own set of stresses. You are wealthier than His father left him an inheritance, a thousand villages, a thousand cities. That he governed in dry land and a thousand boats in the sea. Imagine what this person owned. And nonetheless, he delegated it completely. He would go every day to learn. 
The promiscuous person. The Russia here means, we say Russia, wicked. Here Russia means a person who falls prey to different instincts. You'll see in a minute. Why didn't you learn? He says, no, you see. I was handsome. When you're beautiful, it comes with its own pressures. Wealth comes with its pressure. Poverty comes with its pressure. And having good looks comes with its pressure. My Yitzhahara kept me very, very busy. Took me to interesting places and interesting people. They tell him, Were you more handsome than Yosef? And the Gemara describes, Amru Allah al Yosef Atzadik. They tell the story about Yosef Atzadik bechol yom v'yom hayseishes poitifer mishadalte bedvar. Every single day, poitifer's wife used to try to persuade him through words, as the Torah describes in Parshas Vayeshev, that she took a liking to him and wanted he should be with her. B'gadim shalav shaloy shachris loylav shaloy arvis. B'gadim shalav shaloy arvis loylav shaloy shachris. The clothes she put on in the morning were not the clothes at night, and clothes at night were not the clothes in the morning. In other words, she constantly changed her attire, her uniform, in order to impress Yosef. She dressed up for him constantly. In the morning, at night, Umrele, she tells him, He shamali, listen to me, follow what I want. Umar lalav. He told her no, as the Pasik says, Vayimain, he refused. Umraloi, she threatened him. I will incarcerate you in prison, which we, she actually does. She does successfully. Omar Lo, he tells you, Hashem matir asurim. Hashem unleashes those in captivity. She told him, Hareini kaifefes kaimascha. I will crush your stature. So he tells her, Hashem zoikif kfufim. Hashem lifts up, he makes erect those who are bent. Hareini misameyeseinecha. I will gog your eyes, I will blind you, I will poke out your eyes, she threatens him. So he responds to her, all the same capital to Hillam that we say every morning is essentially Yosef's conversation with the wife of Petifar. Hashem matir asurim, Hashem pekeyechivrim, Hashem zoikikfufim. In the morning before we go out to our day, we remember what Yosef tells the wife of Petifar. Nu, if it doesn't work with threats, so then you try to persuade through positive uh, methods. Nosnaloi, elef kikre kesef lishmoye le lishkav etzla lias ima v'leiratza lishmoye le lishkav etzla baylam haza lias ima laylam hab. She gives him a thousand kikar. Kikar is a huge, uh, heavy weight of silver, a thousand kikar of silver to buy him off, to bribe him. A slave without family to get this amount of money is extraordinary. He refuses. He doesn't want to lay with her. He doesn't want to be with her. Says the Gemara, what are these two expressions in Vayeshev? He doesn't want to lay with her in this world, but he also doesn't want to be with her in Olam Haba. Nimtze zog the Gemara. Hillel mechayev eshaniyim. Rebeleza ben chayesim mechayev eshashirim. Yosef mechayev eshashayim. So what's the summation of this discussion, zog the Gemara, in Yumalamed Hey? Hillel condemns the poor. Rebbe Lazar ben Charsim condemns the wealthy. And Yosef condemns the gorgeous, handsome, beautiful people who feel that they're incapable of dedicating their life to Torah. Why? Because of their unique test? Yosef puts them on the stand and makes them, puts them on the stand and makes them, Mechaev makes them guilty. This is the Gemara in Yuma Lamed
Let's see now two other Gemaras. Yuma Lamed Ches, Amar Yishlakish. Yuma Daf Lamed Ches, Amed Beis, 38b. My Dixiv, the Pasek says in Mishlei, Im Leleitzim Hu Yalitz, Vela Novim Yitin Chein. Boletame Poischen Loi, Boletaher Messiah Nois. A person who comes to contaminate himself, heaven opens the door for him. They allow him to do it. A person who comes to purify himself, L'tayr, to purify himself and actually also to purify others, L'tayr, to cleanse others, Messiah Noisai, they help him out. This is what Rish Lakish says from a Pasuk in Mishle. By Tuma, it says Paischin By Tara, it says Messiah Noisai. They open up the door for him. Here they actually help him. They don't only open the door. As the Gemara explains further, they don't only open the door, they help him. The Gemara gives a mashur, Shlokish gives a metaphor of a person who was selling uh, selling uh, a farsaman, a beautiful, beautiful, lovely perfume, versus a person who was selling nefet, was selling um, huh? petroleum with a very, with a lousy smell. It's the person who was selling the perfume. He says, let me open it up for you so we can both enjoy the smell. And the other person says, you open it up yourself. You want to buy it. I let you buy. I open it up for you, but I'm not going to help you. It's not Messiah. It's Paischen. That's what the Gemara says. Now there's a Gemara in Saita Daflam Edvava Medbeis, where we see the story with Yosef is not so simple. One day, it says, everybody was away from the house. Who was stayed in the home? Only the wife of Petifah. Yosef came to the house to do his work. And that the day the wife of Petifah comes over, she grabs him by his cloak and she says, be with me. And Yosef runs out, he runs out, and the cloak tears and she has a piece of it in her hand. And later when her husband comes home, she proves that he tried to violate her and has him imprisoned where he will be for the next 12 years. What's Pshat? Yosef comes home. When Yosef comes home to do the work, it means both of them. Not only the wife of Poitifer, but Kivayachal Yosef also had in mind to do what's immoral. One says, He came home to do work. The other says, As Rashi says there, He actually came home and he surrendered to the wishes of the wife of Petifer. She grabbed him by the baguette. That moment, the image of his father Yaakov comes to him in the window and appears to him. And this is what persuades him to say no to the wife of Petifer, even though he came home, and he runs out. I want to learn with you today a shtikul moir enayim. If you'll go to your other source sheet, actually it says on the top, not Moir Enayim, it says on the top, Yisamach Leiv, which is also the Moir Enayim. The Moir Enayim is a sefer authored by Reb Menachem Nochum of Chernobyl, 
or the last name today is known as Tversky, even though in his days there was no last name yet. But he, in his later life, or his son, Reb Motel gave themselves the last name uh, Tversky. The reason is because the first Hasidim that made Aliyah to Eretz Yisrael, the students of the Magad of Mizrich, settled in Tveria. And Reb Nachem, or Reb Motel wanted to really go there, so he gave a name Tversky, which is connected to uh, Tveria. That's where the name Tversky comes from. I believe that was the reason. Reb Nachem Chernobyl, his name was Reb Nachem Nachem of Chernobyl, was born in the year Tov Tzadik. Tov Tzadik is 1730. He went to a big, he went to a yeshiva in Lithuania. He was craving and yearning to study Pnimiyas Atayrech, Kabbalah and Hasidus, so he went to Mezhebush. He went to Mezhebush to the Baal Shem Tev. He became one of the great disciples of the Baal Shem Tev. And after the Baal Shem Tev's passing, when Reb Nachem was 30 years old, in the year Tov Kuf Chaf, 1760, Reb Nachem Chernobyl became one of the greatest disciples and Talmidim and Hasidim of the successor of the Baal Shem Tev, Reb Doiv Ber, the Mizritcher Magid. Mezritcher Magid passed away 14 years later, Tovkov Lamed uh, Gimel, 1773, Yutas Kislev, 1772 actually, and Abnachem Chernobyl became one of the great luminaries of Hasidus. He settled in Chernobyl, that's why he's called Chernobyl, which is a city in the Ukraine, and that's where he lived until his passing in the year Yud Aleph, in the year Tovkov Nun Ches, which would be 1797, Yud Aleph Cheshman. Reb Nachum Chernobyl's work was published that same year, I believe, Tovkuf Nunches, 1797, his commentary on Chumash, which is one of the foundational and earliest works of Hasidus. And it's called Mo'ire Naim. You know why it's called Mo'ire Naim? So two books came out that year from him, the year of his passing. One was published in Bardichev and one was published in Slavita. One was called Mo'ire Naim and one was called Yisamach Lev. Why? <laughs> Because there's a minik by Eden that at the end of Shemayna Esra we say a posik that begins the first letter and the last letter with the name. The first letter of your name and the last letter of your name. You say a posik that begins with the same first and last letter. Those of you who have the name Menachem, you know what's the posik? <laughs> uh, anybody here? Moire Nayim Yisamachlev Shmua Toiva Sadashanatza. So his, his, his commentary on Chumash became Moirinayim. His commentary on Shas and Gemara became Yisamachlev. But the truth is, both works are Moirinayim, they're a light for the eyes, and Yisamachlev, they give joy to the heart. Then they were published as two works. Now most Moirinayims uh, combine both of them. He was succeeded by his son, the Chernobyl Amagid, Reb Matla Chernobyl, Reb Mordechai of Chernobyl, who then had many, many children, who many, each of them became a Rebbe, a spiritual master in his own right, and the famous dynasties of, uh, of Chernobyl, of Racham Strifke, of Skver, and others, many others come from that dynasty of Chernobyl that begins with Reb Nachum Chernobyl, the student of the Baal Shem Tov and the Mag. Today I want to learn with you two pieces from the Moira Naya. One is Yisam Achleiv, his commentary on Yuma, Mesech Yuma. The other one after that is a piece of Bereshis of Moirinayim. That's why the second one it says Yisam Achleiv on top, even though it's the same book. He quotes the Gemara in Yuma, Daf, Lamed, Hayam, Beis that we learned a few moments ago. Let's see what he says. We'll learn it inside. 
He quotes the whole Gemara. Hillel makes the poor people guilty. Yosef makes the gorgeous people guilty. And Rebbe makes the wealthy people guilty. What's this great yichis? That such great tzaddikim, what's their contribution to history? They make Jews become guilty. Otherwise, they would have had a good excuse. And because of these people, now they're tried. The Gemara says in Sukkadaf Memhei, Reb Shimon Bayechai says, I could exempt the whole world from din, from judgment. That's what a tzaddik says. So is the Gemara. Hillel, you know what Hillel does? All poor people will now be tried as guilty. Members of Klai Yisrael because of Hillel. All handsome people because of Yosef. All wealthy people because of Rebbe he says, that's really the contribution of tzaddikim. Obviously, you can understand that. Some people would say, of course this is the contribution. What else would be the contribution? Justice, din, of course. But Rebbe Nachum somehow didn't sit well with him that this is the contribution of Hillel, Yosef, and Rebbe Lazar And Itaka brings an eye from Rebbe Shimon, you see. Rebbe Shimon doesn't say, Yechalni, because of my greatness, everyone will be guilty now, comparing themselves with me. On the contrary, a great person means, not that I make other people compare themselves to me and therefore they all fall short, but with my greatness I can elevate them, I can help them. So what's Taka Pshat in this Gemara? Acha inyinhu. The meaning is this. Now he gives an introduction here. The introduction is going to be a little difficult, a little complex. But as we go on, it will become more and more explanatory. He will elaborate it as he goes up, as he goes on. Oh, I'm sorry, another question. I skipped the line. Before these great people came, what happened? Before Hillel, all the poor people were off the hook. Before the Blazer Ben Chasim, all rich people were off the hook. Before Yosef, all beautiful, all gorgeous people were off the hook. What happened before them? It's like suddenly now Hillel Mechayvah Saniyah. Achayinyin, who the meaning is this. Kikol p'china me'elu ha'p'chines, da'hainu ha'meniyas sheyesh ba'olam. Hain o'yni, o'yashiris, o'shar meniyas ha'moynim esa'odam ha'avoydas ha'lukus. These three items the Gemara mentions are prototypes of all the different types of minias, all the different types of, um, how would we translate minias? Obstacles, trials, things, realities that prevent, that are moineya, that prevent, that stop a person from avoidus alakus. From serving Hashem, from connecting, from living with Hashem. So for one person it's poverty, for another person it's wealth, and for another person it's any type of Yetzirah that they have. This one has these instincts, these addictions, these challenges, these problems, but any obstacle or trial are included in one of these three things, Aniyas, Ashiris, Oisharmanias. Each of them, Bechalachas, Shoira HaKlippus. In each of these manias rests the clippus. We'll soon see what that means. Literally, it means shells. 
in, 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 in Kabbalah and Hasidic texts, you'll always have the word klippus, which people understand as negativity or unholiness, but we'll soon see exactly why they choose this word klippus. It's a very significant word. Klippus doesn't only mean bad, bad, bad. You could just say bad. Klippus means a particular type of bad. It's called a klippa, like a banana peel is called a klippa. An orange peel is called the klippa of an orange, a shell, a husk. Right? You crack the walnut, there's the klippa over the nut to take out the nut. And so many other fruits in the same fashion. So in each of them there is a klippa, which as a result of that, these things appear to the person as being a menia, as being an obstacle for Avaidas Hashem. The klippa rests, the klippa defines, every person has experiences in life. These experiences, I think, are a menia, they're an obstacle for Avaidas Hashem. That's what the klippa does to all of these things. Kiba'emes, why do I say it's a klippa? It is a menia, it is an obstacle. Kiba'emes, no, it's a klippa. It's like a shell. It's a cover-up. It doesn't let you see what's inside. Kiba emes. Ain't shum menia. A statement. There's no such a thing, there's a menia for Avedis Hashem. doesn't exist. <laughs> now, a person reads this, it's like, who is he talking to? And what it, does he really mean it? But this is what he says, we'll see. Kiba emes, there's no such a thing as a menia for Avedis Hashem. Va'adirab. On the contrary, not only there's no such a thing as a mania, everything is a help for Avoidus Hashem. Ki bechol dover v'dover yesh avoida. In everything there's Avoidus Hashem. Everything is part and a help for Avoidus Hashem. There's no such a thing, something stopping somebody. Ki moishu yizboi b'ezrus Hashem. He acknowledges that he has to explain it. As I will explain with Hashem's help. Ach, so why do we look at life and we say, I can't, this is a problem, this is a trial, this is an obstacle. It's undermining my Avedis Hashem and everything that Avedis Hashem includes. It includes joy, it includes meaning, it includes wholesomeness, it includes happiness, it includes direction. What, life is full of Meneas. Which life doesn't have Meneas? What do you mean there's no Menea Adiram? He says, This is what the word Klippa means. There's a shell, there's a horse. There's something that covers up the experience, and you only see the cover-up. So therefore, because of the klipa, the shell, you don't have vision. So when you look at this person, or this experience, or this story, or this feeling, whatever it is, feeling, instincts, emotions, experiences, past, present, future, mental, psychological, emotional, spiritual, but whatever it is, any experience in life within or without, Mental, emotional, practical, or conceptual. Certain people, certain circumstances, my job, my house, whatever it may be. I could see only the clip of it, and therefore I experience it what? As a mania. This is undermining my life, my wholesomeness, my service of Hashem. Before these three people came to the world, each one in his period, Yosef, of course, much earlier. Hillel, er, later. later. But before they came to the world, In these areas, it was easier to serve God despite what looked like a mania, because the klipa, the shell, didn't spread out so much. As time progressed, the hearts became a little smaller, or a lot smaller, and the klipa, it's an interesting expression, extended into everything. <laughs> everything is covered with a shell. 
came these three tzaddikim, v'chol echad man shover es Each one's life story broke the shell in that particular element of life. Hillel, when it came to the stress of money. Rebbe ben Chaisim, when it came to the stress of affluence, abundance, prosperity, wealth. And Yosef, much earlier, when it came to the challenges of cravings, instincts, tithes that have to do with bodily beauty and and uh, of a handsome person. Not only they broke it. They showed not only that it's not a shell, that it's not a menia, this is a help for avoid. This brought them to avoid Through this, they charted a path. They set us on a course that everybody who follows them, that people can take these very experiences, that without them we would see as absolute cover-ups that block our path in life, and we could actually connect, connect through them to our service of the Almighty. Nimtza, this is Pshat and Gemara. Hillel mechayev aniyim. Yosef mechayev rishayim. Rebozer mechayev mechayev. So he says, what's mechayev? Ki mechayivam. Mechayivam ki choiv al doiris haboyin sheyavdu as Hashem me'oyni me'oyshirim sha'oy mish'ar. V'kivon shenishbara klipa. V'imkein l'schus yechoshev sheyuchlu lavad benekel. It's not that these tzaddikim try to condemn people and say, look, how bad they are. On the contrary, Hillel Mechayev, Hillel allows the Ani to be able to fulfill his chiyuv, from the word chayv, his duty or her duty. Yosef allows every person to be able to fulfill their purpose in life, their duty in life, their privilege in life. Mechayev, not from the word Mechayev as guilt, from the word Mechayev as duty, as responsibility, as obligation. Like you say, a person is chayev to do it. It's not guilt, you're chayev to put on tefillin, you're chayev, whatever, you're chayev in a mitzvah. Not you're guilty. They allowed people to be able to fulfill their destiny, their chiyuv in life. How? By te- giving people a perspective to be able to look at each of these maniyas, which include, of course, they're like umbrellas, they're prototypes that include many, and see it not as a maniyah, as an obstacle which obstructs your path, but on the contrary, actually, it's part of your Avodah Hashem. But how? How did they do this? So he starts explaining. Ki be'emes, because the truth is, Ein shum menia sheyimna sa'odam ma'avodah salakos. The Reb Nochem Chernobyl is now going to convey one of the profound, very practical, and beautiful teachings that the Baal Shem Tev introduced to the world with Chesidus, that he's now going to elaborate on. There's no menia, he, he repeats it again, but now he's going to explain. There's no such a thing, somebody says, I have a menia, I have an obstacle that's stopping me from Avodah from connecting to God, from serving Hashem, and as I said before, whatever includes it, whatever is included, Avodah Hashem includes the entire journey of one's life as a path to dveikus, as a path to connection with ultimate reality, with the truth of reality at every moment. Why not? Maybe there is a mania. 
And what happened to everything we grew up with, and Abnachim Shnav also grew up with this, that there's a big Yetzahara, that there's Rishoyim, that there's Klippus, that there's Sitra Achera, everywhere, at every moment, there's a Sotan, there's a Malachamavas, there's a Mashchis. What, ain't Shumaniyah? What, the world suddenly became Ganeidin? It became Mamish, everything is paradise. And he asks, he says, I'll tell you why. Based on the premise that the world is God's world, and everything that happens in the world is from Him. So how do you explain this? That the creator of the world will send somebody, a mania that doesn't allow him to fulfill what he wants him to do, and for which he created the whole world. I create a company, I hire you in the company to do a job, and every single morning I make sure that you cannot do the job. Okay? So either you say I'm a meshugana, or you say I'm sadistic. <laughs> One of the two. Either I'm clueless, I'm insane, or I'm crazy. But he says that's how you have to think about it. That's how you have to think about it. He created you, he wants you, and he wants you to serve him. And he wants you, and that includes everything that Avaidas Hashem means, which means, which includes simcha which includes meaning, which includes focus, which includes optim, everything Avodah Hashem includes, which is not the discussion right here, what it includes, but it includes a lot. But, he also sends you a maniyah and says, no, this is going to burden you, this is going to overwhelm you, this will put you in depression, this will make you stumble, this will make you fall, here is this taiva, here is this craving, here is this problem, this challenge, and throw you off course. And Baruch Hashem, we know it's very successful. So what's exactly happening? What's happening? Says the Chernobyl. Maybe our whole way how we look at the world is based on a mistake. What he's trying to do here is not give a teaching. He's trying to what they call today in English, change a person's paradigm. Change a person's perspective. Maybe the issue is that we look at life, we push it to have to take off our glasses and put on different glasses. That's what he's going to try to explain. Meaning... So what do we say? So he doesn't send Meneas. So there's no Meneas in Avodah Hashem. So are we, are we in delusions? Are we in reality? What do you mean? People are stressed out. People have tzadis, mitzadis, mitzadis. You could say, it's not as bad as they make it. Sometimes it's worse than they make it. But there's no Meneas. What's Pshat? David HaMelech says in Tehillim, Peidalet, Kishemesh umogin Hashem alikim. Hashem alikim, Hashem is the sun and the shield. So everybody translates the Pasuk. Hashem is the sun and the shield. He gives us light and He protects us. He says, no. The Pshat is, there's Hashem and there's alikim. There's Shemesh and there's Mogin. There's the sun and there's the Mogin of the sun. The ozone layer, the kiss, the... The, what is it called? The seat that protects the sun because the sun is blinding. To give a metaphor, even though the metaphor is infinitely remote from the nimshul. There's no way you can gaze at the sun directly without a mugging, without a mask, without a veil that will prevent the light from the sun. Why not? Not because the light is not wonderful, it's simply blinding, it's too overwhelming, it will ruin the person's eyes. The person's eyes don't have the ability to be able to perceive 
and remain intact and experience such intense light. So they need some mugging to be able to look at the sun. If this is true with the physical sun, certainly it's true when it comes to dveikus. When it comes to connection with the Creator, if the clarity of the light was open, there was no way somebody can gaze at it and experience it. So the sun comes with coverings, with veils, with masks. And when a person looks at it, he sees it as what? As something that's blocking the view of the sun. It's a mania. It's preventing him from being able to see the sun. But somebody who has seichel, somebody who has understands. Seichel here doesn't mean a high IQ. Seichel here means somebody who has a deep understanding into life. This person understands that the cover of the sun is really there to help him experience the light of the sun according to his ability without becoming blind. So he lifts up the thing to its true intention, meaning he looks at it. What's its real intention? Simply to allow me to see the sun. So this itself... He uses as a tool to become connected more to the sun. In other words, he understands this itself is only there for him to be able to reach some appreciation and some connection to the sun. Practically. Whether you're talking about thoughts, we don't realize most of our attitudes in life are based on thoughts. What you think about your life, that's what's happening. We're always thinking about things. Usually what bothers us is not the reality, it's how... We think about the reality, right? Our thoughts are always working. We have thoughts about everybody and everything. A real person becomes in control of their thoughts. What do you think? How do you react to things? Remember, it's usually not people that make you upset. It's usually not events that makes you upset. It's the thoughts that are associated with those people or those events that make you upset. Another person could think about them very differently. We don't realize it. We say, this person really gets me angry. No, no, it's not true. This person, this doesn't mean this person doesn't have his own issues. This means this person can't get you angry. It's the thoughts you have about the person. Always. This is 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. There's nothing outside of thoughts. Our thoughts don't stop. The only thing that doesn't go on vacation is machshava. Even when you sleep, you're thinking. It's called dreaming. And even when you're, when you're, uh, when you're at a shear, you're daydreaming, you're also thinking. You're just daydreaming about something else. You could come back now. But, because uh, <laughs> hey, dream on as long as it's sweet. I'm just joking. I don't know, I don't know what you're thinking. <laughs> but it's always thoughts, always thoughts. Our thoughts about an event, our thoughts about the situation, our thoughts about the reality, our thoughts about the people, our thoughts about... Whatever it is about ourselves, our reality. So he says, challenge those thoughts. Let's see those thoughts. Those thoughts are obstacles. They're overwhelming me. They're tirda. They're stressing me out. They're preventing me from reaching the goal I want to reach of avoidus Hashem, of dveikus to Hashem. That's what's happening. Or or anything else. Thoughts, words, actions, experiences, feelings, things, occurrences that happen to me or I hear about. 
Hakoil who shaluach etzloi meito yisbarich lekarvoy etzloi. Everything was sent from Hashem to bring you close to Him. Everything is a shliach from Hashem, who is the sole controller of the world, who's actually sending you a message, I love you, I want to come close to you. You say, really? That's an interesting message of love. <laughs> you couldn't have done it otherwise. If you, it's, everything is a telegram. And what's the telegram? I want you to be close to me. I want you to be one with me. I want you to be intimate with me. So you'll say, Reb Nachem, I don't know what type of thoughts you're having, but I know what type of thoughts I'm having. What do you mean these are thoughts from Hashem to make Him closer? These are thoughts that distance me completely from God. Sometimes they're ugly. I'm talking about the Ezra's Anashem. Sometimes they're ugly, grotesque, promiscuous, immoral, disgusting. You won't even tell it to your therapist. Certainly not to your love. It's such things you're embarrassed to tell yourself. Every person knows what they go through in different situations. So that's not a mania. I don't have to overcome it. I don't have to fight it. He says, Shemesh Hashem alikim. Hashem, everything is Hashem alikim. The question is if it's the Shemesh or it's the Mogain. The Mogain is not there to distance you from the sun. It's there actually to help you experience the sun. Through this... You can get close to him. It's not a prevention. But I have to look at it that way. So what is it? This machshava, these diburim, these maizim, these experiences. So he says, V'zeu Peter's. this is the pshat, Haba litamei pois chinloi. We learn the Gemara differently than he says here. We learn Haba litamei, somebody wants to come be metame himself. God says, Pajalista. You know what pajalista means? Bevakasha. You want to be yourself metame? Poishchemoi. Gegezontate. Go. I can't stop you. You have free choice. Says the Mori Naim. That's not pshatting the Mori. You know why it says Habolitai Messianloi? Habolitai Poishchemoi. When you're coming to be metame yourself, why are you coming to be metame yourself? Because you're having a tremendous mania. You have a taiva, you have an instinct, you have a craving, you have an addiction, you have a struggle. Whatever it is, you're coming now to contaminate yourself through any tomb, whatever tomb is. Whatever the tomb is. Words inappropriate, thoughts inappropriate, actions inappropriate. In any issue of life. Habali tame, you're coming to be metame yourself. Poishinloi. What's poishinloi? Ki be'emes hu pesach sheyikonis al-habihiros. Poishinloi means, this is your path to God. This is your door. Poishinloi, you should know. Your terrible temptation that you're having, Litome, this is your path to Hashem. Meaning, Meaning, if a person would understand this, so when he's about to do a great Aveda because it came to him, or a thought, or a machshavira, machshavira means negative thoughts about people, negative words about people, that's the difference between shechasha b'shum Aveda and machshavira. Whatever it may be, yachoy lovey l'madregis ruach ha-koydesh, poyschinloi, This is your path to the divine spirit. This is not an obstacle. This is your path to Avodah Hashem. 
by, by understanding that by confronting this temptation, this emotion, by dealing with it. What does it mean by dealing with it? Saying no to it, subduing it, sometimes transforming it, fighting it, whatever it is, each one is a different appropriate response. But this is your poishin loy. What you think is slapping you to Tumma is slapping you to Ruach HaKadosh. What's the problem? He, he looks at the klipe. He looks at the external. He says, Abole Tome wants to make me Tome. He follows the external message. It wants to take me away from the sun. It's more exciting. He can fall. And he falls through it. So your greatest shame is really your greatest opportunity. Your deepest, what shames you most, contains your Ruach HaKadosh. What you're most embarrassed of, what you would never talk about, because this is Habalitame. This is really, this is your Pesach. This is your path to Hashem. It's not a Meniyah. It's not a maniyah. It comes, it presents itself as a tremendous maniyah. That's the message. It presents itself and says, you're now the most distant from God. It says, no, you're now the closest to God. This is his hand stretched down and said, this is your path to me. Through this maniyah, through this experience, by finding me in this experience, by working with this experience, including by saying no. Often you just have to say no. This is your path to me. So this is not a sign. People think, I'm having these challenges, it means he threw me away. He says, no, these challenges is actually his message of love. This is the way you're going to get closest to me. Somebody else can't get close to me through this. That's not his thing. This is your path to me. And there's no experience in life that's not part of this. No thought, no word, no action, not one experience in life that's excluded from this moment. You should love Hashem with all your heart, says the Gemara in Brachis. Everybody knows the mission in Brachis, what's Bechol With your whole heart? Love Hashem with your positive inclination and your negative inclination. What does it mean to love Hashem with your Yetzir Hara? What do you mean? A Yetzir Hara means it's a negative inclination. It's evil, it's bad. It's trying to tell me to go away from God. So let me love it with your Yetzir Hara. Let me explain. Now we'll understand Pshat. Turn over the page to the other side. Our problem is we look at the Yetzirah and we say, this is a separate force outside of God. It's not a separate force. It was created for the benefit of the world. This is there for the person to be able to look at the sun. It's the Muggin on the sun. Even the Yetzirah. It's... Hashem, my experience of God will, cannot be the full revelation of God's infinity. It won't have a relationship with me. Hashem dresses up, so to speak, in these Meginim. And this is my path to Him. Whatever your situation is that you're struggling with right now, and the thoughts are overwhelming you and stressing you out, connect to the pnimius, to the real message, and through that itself, you will experience vahaftas Hashem with the Yetzirah, meaning that very Yetzirah is really your opportunity, poischen loy, towards a deeper Avas Hashem, but, but, 
You have to know how to take that experience and realize it's there to bring you closer to your soul. It's there to bring you closer to your goodness. It's there to bring you closer to Hashem. Okay, no Rubi Gemara, therefore the Gemara says, in Sukkadaf Nun Beis, Amit Beis, Shloy Shakadish Baruchum is Charet Alein, Vechad Membrius Eitzahar. The Gemara says, every day Hashem regrets three things. One of them is the Eitzahar that he created. Somebody who doesn't know the future, so you go into a project and then you say, Oi, Echab Charate, right? Echab Charate. Right, they say that somebody, a kahila needed a chazan for, for, for a Shoshani Yom Kippur. They needed a cantor. So a cantor applied for the job. He sent in his resume. So you, you know, you have references on the bottom for, for the call. So the, the, the president of the shul called up a friend. And he said, you think we should hire Yankel for a chazan? He says, yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, we need somebody who's going to bring us to tshuva. Yom Kippur, Shoshan, somebody's going to bring us to Tshuva. You think when he davids we're going to have Tshuva? He says, Tshuva, I don't know what Charata you're going to have. He says, so they hired him, he says, and they all had Charata. He says, it was a Yom Kippur full of regrets. Full of regrets. So I understand, if you don't know the future, if you don't know the future, you say, you have Charata. Hashem creates the Yitzhahar, and I regret it. Really? Hashem, you didn't know what you're getting into. Sometimes you get in, you hire somebody in your company, and then you say, Echab Charata. What's pshat? So he says, this is the pshat. He doesn't have anything to regret. The Yitzhahar is not a problem. The regret represents the dual nature of the Yitzhahar. It's how people perceive it. Because that ultimately a person has to choose. This is the person's choice. The choice is not if God loves you at this moment and wants you right near Him at this moment. The choice is if you're going to experience it as His love or you're going to experience it as His rejection. That's the only choice. Vahavin, this you have to understand. V'zau shiksiv, this is pshat in the posuk. Re'ei chayimim ha'isha asher ahavta. Shloyma Melech says in Koheles Ecclesiastes chapter 9, Perek Tes, Posuk Tes, Re'ei chayim, see life, find life with the woman asher ahavtum you loved. What's Shloyma Melech saying? Find life with the Isha. What should you find with the woman that you love? Not life. What's Shloyma Melech trying to tell you? Vo'inyin who the pshat is. And here he takes one of the most powerful forces in the world, which is, of course, love. And one of the greatest nisyoinus, one of the greatest challenges in many people's lives. And he says, Shleiman Melech is teaching here, in one pasuk, everything that he just said till now. To summarize everything we said is, the whole world and everything in the world is one mashal. It's a metaphor. What's the nimshal? The nimshal is, Avoidus Hashem. Every pchina in the world, any thought, word, Emotion, experience, instinct is a metaphor. Now, when somebody tells a marshal, when somebody tells a metaphor, sometimes you don't even hear the nimshal. I remember I was once asked to give a long shear somewhere, it was in Virginia, and there was a big snow, so the other speaker didn't show up, so I had to fill up his slot, so it was a two and a half hour shear, which was, I think, a three hour shear at the end. I finished, a person came over to me, Chabgut Geschwitzt, person comes over to me and he says, by the way, your opening joke was not bad. And he, 
He meant it as a compliment. He meant it as a compliment. So I said, I'm glad that from the three hours, there's at least one Nekudah you took out. And the truth is, everything else was just for the joke. I'm just not going to get up to say a joke. So I had to give a three-hour Shia just to justify the joke. But there was really nothing else to it. But essentially, some pe- sometimes that's all of life. You only see the marshal and you never see the nimshal. Life is just a marshal. Everything is a marshal. Every experience is a metaphor. It's a parable. It's a story. And the story is there for you to peel off the layer and to go to the nimshal. What's behind the story? What's behind the story? Behind the story is dveikus, intimacy. Intimacy with the source, with the core of all reality, with Hashem. That's the nimshal. Now, that dveikus is multi-layered. It's multi-layered, it's multifaceted, it's infinite. So the mashalim are also infinite. Every moment in life is another mashal. I meet one person, I have another experience. Now, even things that are opposite are also a mashal. But you have to see the mashal. So he says, take the concept of avas nashim, the attraction, the love, that a man, a person has to the opposite gender, to femininity. What is it? It's It's essentially love that came down, that fell down from the ultimate love. Every time you experience an emotion of attraction, what is it telling you? You're attracted to a creature of Hashem. And if you're so in love with this, or you think you're so in love with it, this is a metaphor to help you experience the love to the source of this person far more infinite. It's the whole source of the love. So essentially what you think is an obstacle, a mania that's taking you away from God is really Hashem's. Language and telling you, I want to teach you about, I'm love. So I'm sending you this thought, I'm sending you this instinct, which is all about love. So you think, oh, this is horrible, this is taking, this is clippers, this is tuma. I'm horrible, I'm evil, I'm bad, God hates me, I'm the worst. So either you run away from yourself forever, or you fall, you surrender, you succumb, it's both the same nakud. Well, the Mariyanayim says, no, it's a marshal, it's a marshal. Don't stop with the marshal. But don't kill yourself over the marshal. On the contrary, it's a marshal that can help you get to the nimshal. Now, what do you do with the marshal? Sometimes you have to run away from the marshal. <laughs> He's not saying that every marshal has to be embraced. Sometimes you have to run away. But by running away from the marshal, you help yourself reach the nimshal. Every marshal you have to relate differently to. That's a separate blueprint. How do you relate to every, every situation and make it a tool for Avodah Hashem? But it's a tool for Avodah Hashem always. It's a message from God to bring you closer to Him. The vayimoyin, the refusal also. It's going to be metame me. This person wants to be metame me, or I think they want to be metame me. That's your Pesach Favaydus Hashem. So he says, If you have seichel, you can take, you can reach from the marshal to the nimshal, from this love that fell. What do we mean fell? Fell means here, it's a love that's really a nimshaldika love, but it's translated, it came down into an earthly, physical incarnation. And sometimes we know it could be an immoral experience, Taiva, which the person is not allowed to engage in. It's going to be destructive. But ultimately, it's also a message from Hashem. 
This love is a message, it's an isiris, an arousal to reach true love, to help you become a true person of love. Love what? To be able to love the truth of existence, which is what Avas Hashem means, which of course allows you to love to love people also in a very real way, because they're all reflections, they're all creations of Hashem. The same is true with everything and experience in this world. It's a mushal that's there to help you reach the ultimate love. It's a mushal for an emshal. This is what Kohelis is saying. When you meet the Isha Sherahafta, you could see the shell, or you could see the Chayim. Re'ei Chayim. Pirush, re'ei ala Chayis shebedover al mahu moira. With the Isha Sherahafta, re'ei Chayim, go into the Chayim. Look at the inner life of it. Ki ha-moshul hu ha-guf, v'ha-nimshul hu ha-chayis min ha-dover. The moshul is always the body of it. The nimshul is the message, the inner engine. Re'ei Chayim means, see the Pnimiyas. And this is not just with a stranger. He's talking about Ima Isha Sherahafta. What allows the Ava to be truly deep, to be truly enduring? If the person sees the love to their own wife as essentially a reflection of their relationship with Hashem, then it's going to be a powerful love. If the love is disassociated from Hashem, it's just because I'm excited. Why? Because of my body or because of another reason? It'll ultimately be temporary. It'll ultimately have the power of a physical craving, which has power, but ultimately a person then becomes thirsty for more and more. It's not enduring, it's short-lived. If you could see the chayim, you see the marshal as a nimshal, you see the spirituality in the love, you connect to the godliness in your relationship, to the godliness in your love, then... It's an eternal love. Then it's a divine love. Then the love with the Isha is a different type of love. It's part of Yahweh's Hashem. That's a whole different experience. As the Shulchan Aruch HaRechayim Kuf Laman Aleph, Bechol from the Ramam and Hilchas Deis, says that even a relationship, the deepest relationship is, there's Yahweh's Hashem there too. Famous letter of the Ramban and so forth. It's interesting. The first Rashi in Shir Hashirim, the first Rashi in Shir Hashirim says, so Machloikas, the Mishnah in Yadayim, in Mesechta Yadayim, if Shir Hashirim, should be one of the Svarim of the Tanakh. Some of the Chachamim said it doesn't belong in the Tanakh, because Shir Hashirim is eight chapters, and there's no, uh, there's no moral message there. There's not one Sefer of Tanakh that doesn't have a moral message. Shaya, Yirmiya, Yecheskel. Hashem is, is teaching people. In Shir Hashirim, it's a love poem about a lover and a beloved, about a groom and a bride about the doidim, about the people who love each other. It's very graphic, it's very central, it doesn't seem to be in Tanakh. Hashem's name is mentioned once at the end, that's it. Even Megillus Esther doesn't have Hashem's name, but the whole story is a story of Hashgacha, story of provenance. What's Shir Hashirim? Shashirim is Kodesh Kadasha. Shashirim is more holy than everything. More than any other sefer of Tanakh. It's Kodesh Kadosh. And of course, Shashirim remains in the Tanakh. And Rashi continues from Chazal, I'm quoting from memory, the world was not worthy till the day that Shashirim was given to the Jewish people. Shashirim is a work by Shloy Mahamelech. The world was unworthy till the day Shashirim was given to the Jewish people. What's the meaning of this? 
Avram Avinu, Yitzchak, and Yaakov Avinu. The world was not a worthy place with them. Yitzchak, Mitzrayim, Moshe Rabbeinu, Matan Torah, entry into Eretz Yisrael, hundreds of years, with Amishkan, with Nevi'im, with Shoftim, with his father David HaMelech. The world was an unworthy place. So what's the meaning? It became worthy on the day that Shehashirim was given. But now we can understand. What's Shehashirim? If you read Shehashirim, it's the love poem between the chasen and the kala, the groom and the bride. Rashi himself says it's a marshal. And he explains it. Not al pipshat. He explains it as a metaphor. So the question is, so why did Shleim HaMelech write it that way? Shleim could have written it. Talking about the relationship between Hashem and the Jewish people. Why did he write Shehashirim in a way that when you read it without Medrashi Chazal, without Mefarshim, what does it look like? An absolutely secular love poem that's very graphic. And uh, I don't know how to say this, but I'll say it frankly. If somebody would write it today's day, he would be excommunicated from every Jewish community. I don't know, every Jewish community, but certainly many communities that we're familiar with. It would be not just possible, it would be completely dismissed from Jewish life. One of the worst things. Certainly his daughters wouldn't get into seminary and his, his sons wouldn't get in, uh, to the yeshivas. <laughs> so why did Shleim HaMelech write it this way? There was somebody who translated not long ago Shir HaShirim. And the English translation, they didn't do a little translation. In the translation itself, they did the spiritual commentary. Why? They explained because Rashi himself, Rashi himself says that you have to understand it as a marshal for an imshul. How did I realize this? I, I once wrote, I was writing an essay, so I was writing a Pesach and Shashir, and I needed the translation. So I took this English translation, and I start translating, and I see, it's not what the Pesach says. <laughs> it's not what the Pesach says. And then I see in the introduction, they write, they're not giving the literal interpretation. So it reminded me, Lahavdil, that, Lahavdil, that there was a Jew who, uh, a Jew from Warsaw translated one of Shakespeare's plays into Yiddish. So he wrote like this, Romeo and Juliet... Translated and enhanced through Yankel Rosenberg. So, you know, I was thinking, you know, Shehashirim, translated and enhanced. He was also an Erlechiyit. He also knew about Tznius. So why did he write Shehashirim? Many of us missed the whole point of Shehashirim. This is the point of Shehashirim. That the whole world is a marshal. That the physical love is a marshal. Of course he could have written the book as a spiritual document. But the message would be lost. If you want to suck the marrow out of physical love, go to the spiritual love. If you want to get the full power of the marshal, see it as a marshal. If you strip the marshal and sever it from the nimshal, you don't only lose the nimshal, you lose the marshal. The marshal remains a superficial husk that lasts as long as husks last. How long can you chew on a banana peel? How long can you chew on an orange peel? You could for a while. They say you could live on credit card debt for three generations. Some people, maybe more. Actually, for three years, not for three generations. That was just a Freudian slip. For three years, you could, you, you could live on the peel, but ultimately it's a peel. It doesn't have, this is what happens constantly in life. People are in love, they're crazy, they're romantic, they're obsessed. A year later, ten months later, a week later, <laughs> That 
That's where the love went. It happens constantly. What's missing? What's missing? They weren't lying. They weren't fake. There was no reichayim. It was a muscle without a nimshah. But if my love could connect to the source of the muscle, in other words, I see the person as a muscle for a nimshah, it doesn't take away from my love, it intensifies it. I see the infinite message in this person. I see the depth of this person. I see the full power of this person. I see the inner soul of this person. And that's what I connect with together with the body. Not disassociated. Then it has the kaya ha'in soif. Then it has your, then it's part of Avodah Hashem. A relationship with Hashem that doesn't stop. It goes through all situations in life. It has that power. That's Pshat in Rashi. Till the day Shashim was given, the world was an unworthy place. Why? The world was seen as a place of Tumah. What's the purpose of the world? So, like it says in Prikayavis, you got to go through the corridor and one day you'll reach the mansion in Olam Haba. But this world, the world was a not Royadika place. Sheh Hashidim created a revolution. It turned the world into a marshal. It basically taught that the body is a mirror of heaven. That earth is a metaphor for heaven. That the body is a mirror of the soul. That physicality is a continuum of spirituality. That love in our world is essentially a reflection, a projection of the love between Hashem and the Jewish people. That the love that we are capable of in this physical world is essentially a mirror and a reflection of spiritual love. So Rabbi Kiva says that's Kodesh Kadosh. Kodesh is aloof, holy, sublime. Beyond the physical. Kodesh Kadoshim is. It says in Lakuta Torah, what's Kodesh Kadoshim? It's even beyond Kedusha. In other words, it's not that you have to run away. Kedusha, precious, aloof, sublimity. Kodesh Kadoshim means it's holier than being holy, meaning it comes back down. It integrates the earth as well. So therefore, Shleimah Malach is saying, so now let's see further. The goof is the marshal, the nimshal is the chayiz, akshleimer re'ei chayim imo yishasher ahavta. V'david ha-melech alav ha-shalom asakein. This is what David ha-melech did, v'ikira yosya ha-hakal ala nimshal. If you don't understand this, it's hard to understand the story of David ha-melech. David ha-melech appreciated the marshal, but what he always saw was the nimshal. K'mayim razal, how do I know the Gemara? It says in Shabbos, Dafnun Vav, David When you read the story of David's relationship with Bathsheba, and you say that David sinned, you're making a mistake. Why? The Gemara says that Bathsheba was really David's Bashert. But sometimes you eat a fig, you eat a grape before it's ripe. You take it before it's the time. So he says, "Vuhu asal emes hamiti." David Amelech saw in Bathsheba the nimshal. In other words, he saw that they are really soulmates. So he followed that truth. Ka'amr, like he says in Tehillim, "Vashalchabirchavakifikudechadarashti." I walked in broadness because I was really searching for your commandment. The sign of how you maligna love. All of his enemies mocked at him. For how you served him, they said, He was just busy with metaphors, with mashalim, with the shells. Al Omar, when David Amelech wants to describe his tragedy in Tehillim Kapitel Samachtes, he tells us, I was considered the black sheep in the family. Al Omar, what does he say? For them, I was one big marshal. 
So literally we translate Ve'elem Lamashal was Ich Ben Amashal, I was a joke. I was a marshal. I was a story for everybody. I was a good piece of gossip. That's what I was. You wanted to have a snidey remark? David HaMelech, you take your stab at David. The Gemara says in Sanhedrin, in Beis Medrash, they, they, the famous Gemara in Sanhedrin, they asked David HaMelech, what's the din with an Ish They used to ask him questions to taunt him, in Beis Medrash. So David, but here the, the Mar Naim says, Ve'elam Kemoshal is a really profound idea. They didn't understand, they thought for me, the whole world is just a marshal. They didn't know that for me, the world is a marshal for a nimshal. It's not a marshal stripped, divorced, separated from the nimshal. Separated from the nimshal. Now, now, before we go to the last piece of the Mariyanayim, which brings us back to Menashe, let's go to another shtikal Mariyanayim, Parshas Bereshis. It's a few pages, but I've just chose one paragraph although he elaborates on this much more with more sources and more explanations and examples. But one Nekuda, which brings us to Yosef. Everybody knows, we learned the Gemara in Saita. Rashi brings it, the Medrash brings it, it says in Zohar, that when Yosef was about to succumb, he sees the image of Yaakov, his father, in the window. What's the meaning of this? There was no video in Cairo playing Yaakov Avinu on CNN that night. So he saw in his mind Yaakov's image. He didn't know what Yaakov looked like. He knew he was Yaakov's son. He was 17 when he was sold. So he remembered Yaakov. He learned with Yaakov. He was his closest son. A 17-year-old remembers his father. Certainly a 17-year-old like Yosef with his relationship with his father. He knew what Yaakov looked like before that too. But that didn't stop him. Suddenly he sees the image of his father. How did that save him? What did he see that he didn't see before? And what's the meaning of it even? What does it mean he saw the image of Yaakov's father in the window? What is the meaning? This is Mairinai and Bereshis, the other page that you have. For Omar Moiri Zichroinai Levracha Lechaye Olam Haba. My teacher. Who is my teacher? When it says in Mairinai, Omar Moiri, which is pretty often, it means the Mizritcher Magid. Rebdoiv Ber who was his teacher, the successor of the Baal Shem Tev, as I said earlier. So here he's saying over what he heard from his teacher, the Magad. Probably he heard it himself, or he heard it from somebody who heard it, but probably he heard it himself. Masha'am, Razal when the Gemara says, in that Yosef saw the visage of Yaakov, his father. The reason is, because Paitifar's wife had a unique skill. She was trying to appeal herself, to make herself appealing to Yosef. How do I know the Gemara? Every few hours, she was changing her begotten. Why? She was going to a chasana, she was going to a bar mitzvah, for one reason. She wanted to make herself beautiful to Yosef. This is what the Maggid explains. She bragged, she made herself beautiful in them. Yosef is yifas toya v'yifas mara. He's the paradigm of beauty. Aisha's is trying to chap him, trying to seduce him. For Yosef, what did Yosef do? Here's what the Mezehilikim as Richemagit says. Listen to this. Yosef hilbit al shoirish hayoifi. Vispirus mayayin ba. Yosef had a big mania in life. The ultimate mania. He's a erlicha kid. He's a tzaddik. He's 17 years old. He's a slave. And here is our Aisha, the wife of his boss, who doesn't stop. Every day, Shachris Mincha Mairev, 
Shichvimi, come with me, come with me, come with me, come with me. He tells you no. Vayimayim with Oshal Shalas. The Shinavirov. In Divri Yecheskel, the son of the Tzanzei Rebbe, the Divri Yechayim. The Shinavirov writes in Divri Yecheskel. He says, why is there Oshal Shalas on Vayimayim? So he says, he said it in Yiddish, even though probably Yosef didn't speak to Petifa's wife in Yiddish. Probably Yosef understood Yiddish, but I don't know if Petifa's wife understood Yiddish. That I don't know. So the Shinavirov says, That's what he kept, Nain, Nain, Nain. Ashalshelis, again and again. No, no, no. And then after that he explains. Most people tell her why and then say no, no. The first is nay, 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 three times. Shalshelis. You didn't hear me? I'll say it again. Nay, 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 nay. And then she says, your husband trusts me. How can I betray your husband? How can I betray Hashem? You're a married person. I can't do this. Why first no and then the reason? Because if you give the reason before you say no, you can get caught into it. Because once you already feel the need to explain, okay, so now I'll give you a reason against it. The first thing you have to say is no. Then I'll explain to you why. But the first thing is no, it's non-negotiable. Non-negotiable. It's a much healthier way of approaching these things. But now let's go to a step deeper. How did Yosef deal with it? He had the ultimate mania. Here's a little boy, a little boy, I mean, what we call a teenager, a 17-year-old boy, away from his house, alone in the world. We are in Ervas Haaretz, in the promiscuity of the world. Rashi says, everybody did it in Egypt. This was normal life in Egypt. And you understand that if Yosef would have surrendered to her, there would be no signs the next day all over the place. Because there was the way, to, the way to go. It wouldn't affect his father, it wouldn't affect his family. Nobody even knew him. Nobody knew his family. They were in Eretz Knan. This was the place where everybody did this. And yet Yosef abstained by Yemoyim. Naturally, this is the ultimate mania. The ultimate mania for Avodah Hashem. But the Moir Enayim is teaching that there's no such a thing as a mania. What do you mean there's no such a thing as a mania? This is not an obstacle. So what is an obstacle? Paitifra's wife every day is dressing up differently. It's not an obstacle for Avodah Hashem. What is an obstacle? And yet he maintains it's not a mania. It's sent from Hashem. And Chazal even say, Taka, that Eishas Paitifra L'Shem Shemayim Neskavna may also be a source for this. Hashem is sending her to bring him close to Hashem. That's called bringing him close to Hashem. So here he says what he heard from the Maggit. Yosef saw the beauty. He wasn't naive. But he saw it as a marshal. He said, wow, this is beautiful. Now let me go to the Shoyrish. Where does beauty come from? What's the source of Tiferes? You're looking for real beauty. The beauty of a person is a projection, it's a metaphor, it's a reflection of the pnimius achayis. Everything in this world is a reflection, it's a marshal. What's the real beauty? It's the energy of Hashem in this per- person, which is the midah of Yaakov, who's midah satifer, is beauty. Zeud muzdi yoiknoi shel aviv. 
He saw the image of his father. Yaakov is Midas Hatiferes. In Aishas Paitifar, he saw the Muzdiyoiknoishalavivrabachalayn. He used this very beauty to connect him to Yaakov, who is the spiritual Midas Hatiferes. So not only was it not an obstacle that caused him to fall, it was actually his path to connect him to Midas Hatiferes. To remind him that you could connect with real beauty, with the ultimate beauty. And in this sense, it means by telling her no. Because she's not married to you. It's not Ha'isha Sherahafta. This is Paitifer's wife. Again, every marshal you have to deal with differently. Sometimes it's Vayimoyin. Sometimes I embrace it. Sometimes I subdue it. Sometimes I confront it. Sometimes I elevate it. Sometimes I use it. Every marshal is a different marshal. But this is the Dmuz de Yoikner Shal kol echad tzorich lasas kein. Vihine estim eloshin hester. Kemaimer azale estim in atorim in nayin dixiva noichi aster aster. The Gemara says in Chulin, Tafkoflametes, Esther is ultimate concealment. Va noichi aster aster. He got this from the Nigin Mestam. Vizel Esther rotzaloimar astora. Okay, he's explaining now the Gemara about Esther Karka Oilam, that in her, the Chayas of, in her, in her situation, the Chayas was completely concealed. Karka Oilam, he continues the whole Arichas here, with Yosef and Esther, and how they dealt with their Nisyonis, but it's all the same point. Yosef looked at the Chayim, he looked at the Muzdi Yoikne Shalaviv, Vayonos Vayetze Hachutza. The Mezutche Maggit sells elsewhere that Pshad Vayonos Vayetze Hachutza. Vayonos, he ran away from the situation. Vayetze Hachutza. Doesn't only mean he went outside of the house, literally he went outside of the house. Vayetze Hachutza means he took the Tiferis of the wife of Petifar. Vayetze Hachutza. He went outside of the physical box of it and he elevated it. He understood the source and as a result of that he could abstain and save his integrity and ultimately become who Yosef HaTzadik becomes and that is his deepest moment of Dveikas. That is Vayonaz Vayetzechotza, that's his deepest moment of Dveikas. Comes now back to the Yisamach Leiv, the last shtickle here. We now come to Menashe. We come to Menashe. Now, in order to appreciate what he's now going to say about Menashe, which is going to bring everything together, let's, for a moment, remember who Menashe is. The Pesach says in Tanakh and Melachim Beis, there was no king as evil as Menashe. He reigned 55 years. The longest king in the history of Jewish monarchy in Eretz Yisrael during the first Beis HaMikdash. The longest, 55. He, the whole nation, he tried to persuade to enter into idolatry. Vagam Shafach, he was a killer, he was a murderer, to the extent his father did not want to have children. His father refused to get married, the Gemara says in Brachas Dafyut. You know why? His father was a prophet. And his father saw, Beruach HaKadosh, that his son is going to be a rotten apple. A rotten apple doesn't mean he'll be thrown out of yeshiva. That chiski, I don't think, was the big issue. A real rotten apple. The worst of the worst. And he got sick. And Yeshaya Navi came to see him, the Gemara says. 
and he says, you're transgressing the mitzvah of period of you have to have children, that's why you're sick. He says, how can I have children? You know what my child is going to look like. You don't want me to have children. And Yeshaya Novi told him, Bahadi kaf It's none of your business to try to figure out the secrets of the hashgacha of God. He told you to have children. What he told you to do, you have to do. How it works out. So what does Yechizkiah think? He tells Yeshai, you know what? Give me your daughter. He thinks, you know, as they say in English, with my brains and with my looks and your brains, it'll be wonderful. Yeshaya Hanavi's daughter. Yeshaya Hanavi's genes. And, uh, and his genes will have a good mice. And the Gemara says, and it still didn't help. It still didn't help. In other words, Chizkiya had a perspective. He was right. And ultimately, the Gemara says in Yevamah's Daf Memtes, Ahmed Beis, that, that Menashe murdered, you know who he murdered? He murdered his own Zayda. And who was his Zayda? Yeshaya Hanavi. He kills Yeshaya the prophet, his own grandson. So you understand who we're dealing with. He was a Roshim Merusha, Menashe. From the worst. And the Mishnah says in Sanhedrin, it mentions a few individuals in history that ain't lam chelik lam haba. And one of them is Menashe. One of them is Manash. Now, now, let us see two shtiklach gemara about Manasha, and then we come back to the shtikl gemara night. Now go back to your fourth source sheet, the last two pieces on Hedden Kuv Gimel Amid Beis. Amir Rabbi Yochanan Mishum Rashbi. At the end of his life, Manasha is captured by Babylonia, and they torture him. They put him into a copper kettle and warm it up. They tortured him horribly. And he calls out to Hashem. He says, I remember my father used to teach me a posik. And the posik says, Hashem responds to him. Doesn't say It says means he dug out a tunnel for him. What do you mean he dug out a tunnel? Midas Hadin told Hashem, there's no way he's becoming a Baal This monster, no way. This gangster, we're open for everybody, but not Menashe. So what does Rebani Shalom do? He digs a tunnel, and he takes in Menashe through a tunnel. Very strange Gemara. We know that here, there's different great people, that the Shamashim run the show. So if they want to take somebody in, you have to dig a tunnel. Because you can't get in through the main entrance. But we didn't know that Hashem also has all these people who say, no, he could come in, he can't come in. But apparently it looks like there's a whole entourage in heaven. They're also saying, no, it's not so. Doesn't Hashem run the show? No, he has to dig a tunnel. He has to smuggle Menashe in because he can't get in the regular way. That's what the Gemara says. And finally, another stickle Gemara, it's Hanhedin Kuv Beis. This is an extraordinary piece of Gemara story. Rab Ashi Uki Ashloishamalach. was learning with his Talmidim. Rab Ashi is the editor, the writer of Talmud Bavli. He's learning with his students the Mishnah in Sanhedrin, the eleventh chapter. Call Yisrael. Everybody knows. Call Yisrael. Yeshlam Chelik Loylam Haba. Ve'elu Shenlam Chelik Loylam Haba. And he goes through the three kings that don't have a Chelik in Loylam Haba. Yeravim, and one of them is Menashe. You remember who the third one is? Anybody? 
Okay, ich euch nicht. Reb Ashi, Uki Reb Ashi is talking about the three kings. Menashe, Yeravim, and one more king who don't have a chelik nelem haba. I believe Achaz. Or Achav, Achav, very good, Achav. Omar, Reb Ashi says, Lemachor niftach b'chaverin. This is how you know that at the end of one shir, you got to prepare the people for the next shir. He says, tomorrow, make sure you come back. It's going to be a juicy shir. Tomorrow we're going to start the shir talking about our friends, our colleagues. We're going to talk about these three chevra. Achav, Yeravam, and Menashe. We're going to analyze them. It's going to be a Lebedic shir tomorrow. As they say, there's going to be action. Don't miss out. That night, Rabashi goes to sleep. Menashe comes and appears in his dream. Omar, he says, interesting. You called me and us, your friend and your father's friends. Let me ask you a shiloh, your colleagues. You have a challah, you want to cut the bread to make a moitzi. Where do you cut the bread from? Which part of the bread do you cut? What's the halacha? Where do you cut amaytzi from? Anywhere? From the middle, from the top, from the bottom, from the side. Where do you cut amaytzi? Amalei Rabashi says, Lo yadayna. Chveisnisht. I don't know. Amalei says, Meheicha debayis lemishra amaytzi like midas. Vechavrach karislan. You don't know where to cut the bread amaytzi. You call me yamayir chaver. A halacha, like how to cut the bread every day or every Shabbos vestenisht. And I'm your colleague. You're not my colleague. Omalei Rabashi says, Agmarili, no, teach me. Ulamachar derishnale mishmach bepirka. Tomorrow I'll give it over in the Shia from your name. I'll say, yesterday I heard a Shia from Anasha, and I'll do Chazoris Hashir from you. Amalei says, Meheicha de Karim Bishula. From the place in the bread where um, the Karim Bishula, where uh, the cooking, the, the baking turned it into crust, turned it into crust. In other words, it's completely ready over there. It became crust. That's where you cut the bread from. That's where you cut the bread from. There's another gear singer, the Kadim Bishullah, the place that was baked first. The Karim Bishullah means the place that formed a crust first. Based on this is a big question. In Hilchis Ptsiya Sapas, there's the Sifin Shulchan and the Mepharshim at length based on this shear of Menashe, Melech Yisrael, where you cut Hamaitzi bread from. Certainly you don't cut it, you don't take out the middle, white, geschmack, soft bread that everybody eats the rest of the meal the most healthy carbs, that clearly not. But the question is, the bottom, the bottom is crust, or the top? That's a question. You go from the bottom, you go from the top. It's a big machloikis, there's a machloikis, a machloikis in Paiskim. And therefore, as the Mishnah Brura brings from the Shulchan Aruch Haraf, from the Rebbe Shulchan Aruch, to cut from the side, from top to bottom, so you yoytze both shittas, you have the Karim Bishul on the top, you have the Karim Bishul on the bottom, this was the shear Reb Ashi gave the next day. Amalei, Reb Ashi turns to him and says, Since you're so smart, you even know where we 
cut the bread from Moitzi. My time a couple chisol avodas Maybe you can explain to me why you lived like such a meshugana. Why you worshipped avodazara? Why? Tell me why. If you were dumb, I got it. But I see that uh, you're a smart guy. Amale he says, I'm not going to tell you why. Let me just tell you one thing about yourself. E havas hasam. If you were there, havas nekitne bishipule glima. You would be wearing a kapota. You would hold the bottom of your bekisha. You would pick up the hem. Shipule glima is the hem of your coat. You would lift it up. Havas nekitna. You would take, you would pick up. Shipule, the hem, the bottom, shuffle of glima of your coat. Virahatas abasroi. And you would run after the Avedizorah. It's hard to run with a long coat, right? It's not so easy. But you would want to run. So what would you do? You would lift up your kapotas so you could run faster. If you were there, you would lift up the hem of your coat and run after. L'mochor, the next day, Rabashi comes to the shir. And he turns to the rabbis and he says, Niftach berabvasa. Let's open up the shir talking about our rabbis. From friends, they became rabbis. Because of this dream of Rabashi. Now, I want to ask you one question. I don't think we'll have time to answer this question, but I want you to think about it. Where did Rabashi see that Menashe was brilliant? How hard is it to say that you cut Hamaitzi from the crust? It's so difficult. In our house, there was a cloud. I don't like the crust of bread. When I, my mother loves only crust. So I would eat the inside of the challah. And she would eat the crust. I left over all the crust, all the crumbs, the mess. She would eat the crust. This is all my years growing up as a child. How brilliant do you have to be to say, I might see from the crust. Rabashi says, you're so smart. Why do you worship Avedizara? What did he tell him? He proved Rabashi's ignorance that he doesn't know the halacha. And that's why I'm not your friend. Don't call me your friend because you don't know where to cut Hamaitzi. Very interesting test how to figure out. Who, and suddenly, Abashi says, He's my Rebbe. He's my Rebbe. Nuva Zokstom. Huh? <laughs> the clipper. Okay, let's see. So now let's see the Moirinayim. Let's remember Menasha. How we started the Gemara and Sarad and Sadik test, the same Perik a few pages earlier. He's sitting and making fun of two Psukim. The Simna Hisapilegash and Vayelikruvma make Sirchit. Zogdemayrinayim is Samachlev is Zao Shriamru based on everything we discussed. What did we discuss? The Gemara in Yuma with Hillel, Rebelazab and Kharsim and Yosef. The Gemara is with Yosef and Ashis Patifar. Ray Chaim, Vayelahem Lamashal. All the Yisaitis that we discussed earlier. So he says, This is Pshat and Gemara. Why did Menashe ask questions on these Psukim and not on other Parshis that are similar? As we said earlier, there's many Psukim. You could say, Moshe... I don't know why you wrote this. It's really irrelevant. In fact, the first Rashi in the whole Chumash is Amr Yitzchak. The whole Torah, Til Parsha's boy, I don't see the point. Skip Til Parsha's boy. We're happy he didn't because we have a lot of good stories. But uh, 
from a perspective of Torah's law, skip the Chodesh as Alechem. I don't have to know anything else. Do we even have to know all these psukim about Eishas Paitifar Lamashal? We have to know. But he is stuck on these. Why? Achainian, who the Pshat is Listen to this. Menashe, Koydem Sha'asa Truva, Haya Oimer, Kiesh Metsias Menias Bavaydes Hashem. You know what Menashe's biggest issue was? Menashe really believed that there are real Menias Bavaydes Hashem. It's not a choice. There's Menias. Some people just can't. Some people were made to be good, and some people were made not to be good. He says, Look at me. My father knew before I was born that I'm going to be a rotten apple. You think that's a choice? This real Menias Tavaydes Hashem. His urges. Or as they would say today, his ADD, his ADHD, his chemical makeup, his genes, his issues, his struggles, his challenges, abuse, whatever you want. This is and Avayda Sashem. In fact, there's a Gemara in Sanhedrin. I didn't, beautiful Gemara in Sanhedrin, the Gemara asks over there in the same Perik, why didn't Chizkiah educate him? So the Gemara says, you think he didn't educate him? Whatever he taught, Sinishtarangagayan. So Benashah says, I chose that. It's not my choice. This menis and avodas Hashem. Im yisdamin lo adam eizem menia potter. You have a menia. It's a real obstacle. If you have a potter, I'm exempt. Vatayra amra. But there's a pasuk about this. Which pasuk? V'simna v'timna hoysapilagish. Timna comes from the word menia. Stopping. I can't. Menia means I can't. Menashe's philosophy was, I can't. V'timne pirish, timne umiloshen meniyah. Im oimir sheyash meniyah. If somebody comes and says, I have a meniyah, I can't, I'm incapable. It's a real obstacle. Hoysa pilegish lelifaz. Azai hu beklipius. Ki beemes hu kanal keniskelel. Umenashe lehoyamoydebaza. The philosophy of timna. This is the philosophy that gets married to Eliphaz, the son of Esau. And not only gets married, is a pilegish, is a concubine. Huh? Enslaved to Eliphaz, the son of Esau. A shifchet Eliphaz, the son of Esau. In other words, the idea of Timna, this is what guides Esau, Eliphaz, and you become enslaved even to them. And we understand this very well, because wasn't this Esau's story? As we discussed in last year, Esav said, how do you give miser from salt and straw? Esav's own story was that in the womb of his mother, he gravitated to idolatry. He didn't have a mania. Of course he had a mania. He had a major mania. However, you could look at your mania and see the clipper, the shell, or you could look at your mania and see the chayim, the dveikas. You could see Hashem in the mania. It's a message. It's part of his connection to you. It's an invitation. The simna, the philosophy that is a mania, this is married to Eliphaz, the son of Esav. It's his concubine, it's his shivcha. This is the perspective of Esav and Eliphaz. This is the philosophy of Timna. That's what the Pasuk says. This Pasuk drives Menashe mad more than any other Pasuk. Because this Pasuk is this antidote. This Pasuk is his remedy. This Pasuk he wants to get rid of. The simna he couldn't accept this. He says it's doifi, it's ridiculous. It's not just like the Gemara says it's extra. It's ridiculous, it's absurd. 
And we even see it in the, I would say we even see it in the story of the Gemara. Simna really wants to convert. She's rejected. What happens? Her son becomes the greatest hater of the Jewish people. Because God rejected us. The Jewish people rejected us. Avram Mitzvah Kenyakov. The Miniya, the obstacle they had, became their GPS for life. I was rejected and the rest of my life, I despise you, I hate you. When really, perhaps, the Timna is a different type of invitation. Every rejection, every message, even if it's a message of rejection, is a different type of invitation. And it could be also, the Gemara criticizes Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov for rejecting Timna, which however you want to understand their behavior, it's certainly not for this year. They saw in Timna something that they felt was unworthy. And perhaps that itself, that itself was an erroneous perspective because the Pnimius of Timna is Re'echayim. There's a divine message there. But in any case, Menashe cannot deal with this Pasuk and he has to reject it. He has to reject it. This is Menashe before he does Tshuva. After he does Tshuva, suddenly he doesn't just repent, he looks at his life differently. So what's the Vayichat Hashem makes a machteres, a tunnel. What's the tunnel? The tunnel is, he has to show him the pnimius, what's under all of his menias. That's the tunnel. The tunnel is not just to outsmart the malachim because Hashem doesn't have control, chas v'shalom in heaven. The tunnel is because Menashe, in, in your unconscious, in your under, underground soul, you were never supposed to be a Russia. The Timna philosophy is a pilegish to Alifas. All your struggles, all your challenges were messages from me that were your path to Dveikus. Where do you make Hamoitzi Lechem and Aretz from? Where do you make the bracha to Hashem Hamoitzi Lechem and Aretz? From what? The Karim Bishullah, from the crust, which is so to speak like the klipa. The shell, it's not mamish, a shell, I mean it's part of the bread. But mehecha, from there you make your bracha. From that which becomes hard and more burnt. Not completely burnt, you can't make a bracha, you don't make a bracha from a part that's really burnt. Because then it's too much klippa. But mehecha, the karim bishula, from there you will find God. From there you find Him. Rabbi Ashi says, you know this? So why do you worship Avedazara? Bistachachachem. You're a chachem. So he answers Rabashi one thing. And the Maral of Prague says this in his Chidushe Goddess on Sanhedrin there. Kuvbeiz and also in Netzach Yisrael. In his Sefer Netzach Yisrael. Maral says this. Very fascinating incident. I'll say it in my own words. There's people who have addictions. They have terrible, terrible cravings to things. They go and they do it. Let me give an example of foods. It'll be a little easier to speak about. But everyone knows it's in all types of addictions. There's a piece of food in front of you, you can't resist it. Why? You know it's horrible, but you, 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 you lose control. Deep down you wish if the food wasn't here. And if somebody would just throw it into the garbage, and you wouldn't have to deal with it. Even a person chasing their addiction, they feel that they don't have control. They have, but they feel they don't have control. And they wish that the circumstances would have been differently. Because really, they understand it's not good for them, but they like lose control. They're detached from themselves. They're not in control. That's one level. But then there is somebody who feels it's a good thing. And then, even if there's an obstacle not letting them do it, they'll go and remove the obstacle. 
Because they don't want there shouldn't be an obstacle. They want to do it. Menashe says, this is the difference between me and you, the Maral says. I didn't feel I have control. My Yetzirah was completely out of control. You, Rabashi, if you'd have been there, you're walking. Your kapata doesn't let you go. In my situation, I would have said, Baruch Hashem, I can go home. You would pick up your coat and run. That's how deep it would be in you. Don't even compare yourself to me. If I, wouldn't have fe- if I felt I had control, I would have gone away. If something was blocking me, I would say, thank God. You would lift up the blocker, the block, the block. You would eliminate the blockage to go pursue it. That's what the Maharal says he told him. Rabbi Ashi says, this is my Rebbe. But the issue of Hamaitzi, where you make your bracha, where you recognize the Rebbeinu Shalaylam, Baruch Atah Hashem Alekeinu Melechel, Hamaitzi Lechem Nartz, is Heiche Dekarim Bishula. That's the part that gets cooked first, it's the crust. You think it's the greatest clipper perhaps. And you often throw it out. That's your derech, that's your bracha. So Rabbi Ashi says, how did you worship? Why did you worship? He says... I, wasn't in, I didn't feel I had control. Why? Vesimna. Vesimna. The real truth is I discovered Vesimna Haisa Pelegash Laesaf. The Mori Naim finishes. Vahavin. I want you to understand. Kibemes kola taivis vikola machshavis umafteyach lavoid. All taivis, all cravings, all thoughts, any thought in the world is a key to avoid. To avoid Hashem. Kamaimir hatoyri, like the Pasik says in Bereshis. Chava looks at the tree of knowledge. Hashem said, don't eat it. What does this mean? It's a taiva, it's a craving for the eyes. It's appealing for the eyes. Pirush, Every taiva in the world is la'inayin. It's made for you to be able to see God. For you to be able to look at the sun. Which if you would see the sun itself, it's blinding. So you have the taiva, which is the obstacle, the mugain, the seeth that covers the sun. La'inayim, you're having a taiva. It was sent for you to be able to see, la'inayim, to be able to see Hashem. By confronting it, by working with it, by seeing it as a tool for kirov, not as a tool for rikuk. And he says, atkan matsasi. Probably the writer, the editor, atkan matsasi, till here I found from the Rebnachim Chernobyl. Now, I think perhaps this gives perspective also on the second pasuk. How does it give perspective on the second pasuk? He doesn't mention the second pasuk. Anybody? How does this connect to Reuven's pasuk? It says in Medrash, perhaps, that Dudoyim is Michael Behemoth, the food of animals. In fact, one opinion is, it's barley, which is, the Gemara says in Pesachim, Dav Gimel is the food of animals. Chitim is Michael Adam, wheat is Michael Adam. It's human food, and Sa'irim, barley, or Dudayim, different types of grasses, is animal fodder, Michael Bahim. Reuven goes out, because he doesn't steal. So he takes the Dudayim, he doesn't take Tzir Chitim. There's two types of souls. This Tal Terebbe, the Baltanya says in the Kutta Torah, in Amaymer Parshas Bechukhoisa. There's souls that are Bechinis Chitim, and souls that are Bechinis Dudayim. Souls that are human. They are destined to deal with human ideas, human feelings. And other souls that have to deal with Michael Behema. The animal in them is strong, 
And they have to deal with the animal in them. Like Esav, like Menashe. Reuven himself, the Pasuk said, the Chazal say, Pasach B'Tshuva, he himself was a Baltshuva. He found the Doyen Basadah make Tzirchitim, because you don't steal. Every person has what belongs to them, and they can't take from anybody else. Menashe looked at himself, and he said, if I would have been created like my father Chizkiah, I could have been a good boy. But I was created with Michael Bahama. I was created like Dudoyim. I was created with a terrible beast in me. I can't be like you. If I would be like you, I could be different. Tzadikim ain't poishin yadeyim in agazel. One of the foundations in life is to know what you have. That's what your mission is. That's what God wants from you. That's your path. Haboli tomei. Don't say, if he wanted me to be good, I should have been like this person. This is your entrance. You don't have another entrance. Don't steal from other people. In your mind, don't steal from other people. This is the remedy for Menashe. Your struggles doesn't mean you're evil. Menashe can't deal with this posik. Just like he can't deal with the first posik. That's why this posik comes as the second one. When you know the first one, you can know the second one. Every miniya, the idea that there's a miniya, this is the philosophy of Eliphaz of Esau. It's a wrong philosophy. It's an erroneous philosophy. That's the first thing Menashe can't come to terms with. Therefore, he can't come to terms with the second thing. And that is that his destiny, perhaps, is to deal with the doyim. There are those who harvest wheat. And there are those who have to confront the animal within them. And tzaddikim ain't poishin yadeyim in agazel. The wheat is made for one person. The dadayim is made for me because I have my path to Hashem that is unique and singular. Before Menashe does tshuva, it's these two psukim he can't deal with because they actually contain the remedy, the healing for his soul and our soul to be able to every person based on who they are to find their true place as an oivad Hashem. Have a wonderful This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.